Hello and welcome to the Inner Warrior Reframing Masculinity Podcast with me, your host, Henry Johnston. This podcast is a platform for inspirational men and inspirational women to come and share their experiences, their strengths, their hopes, and to provide actionable steps that you can put into place today to help you improve your life and your mindset and your emotional state. So you feel that pump of, my God, yes, today is going to be a better day. Before we start, come find me at my website at henryjohnston.com. Come find out more about me, what I do, why I'm here, my role and the service that I give to men all over the world. I create fearlessly beautiful men. That is my job. That is my role. And that is how I give service. Come find me on Facebook. I'll add the links all in the show notes and come and find me on the Men Helping Men group. That is a place where I am most active. That is where I love to communicate with people. And it's just really, really good to connect with guys all over the world. Now, without further ado, let's get on to the show. Welcome. Oh, hello there. It's so good to see you. I have a little bit of a cold today, so please excuse the sniffles and the snuffles and the coughs and the... Uh, yeah. So cold. My head's also a little bit fuzzy. Do you know what it's like when you have a cold and uh, nothing really makes that much sense? Isn't that weird? So I'm in one of those days today. But anyway, for this little intro, it's great to have you here. And thanks for downloading. It means a lot. Um, we have Michael Anthony as a guest today. Michael Anthony, author, speaker, pastor, and blogger. Michael Anthony is an author, pastor, and award-winning communicator with a mission to inspire and teach people how to live with truth and love at the precise time when arrogance and fear are running amok. Michael's debut book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear, is being welcomed as a much-needed how-to manual for living in 21st century America, where so many people seem clueless about how to communicate in healthy ways that provide solutions rather than merely kicking up dust and causing division. This is a book that you can definitely judge by its title and its cover. Reading it and interacting with Michael will prove to be an inspiring endeavour, not quickly forgotten by you, or your audience. Michael's life has been full of adversity, including multiple brushes with death, a battle with cancer, and surviving several kidnapping, alluring attempts as a child. He takes the lessons he's learned and educates others on how to overcome adversity and develop what he calls courageous humility. He has inspired crowds in more than 20 countries on four continents. Michael's work and message are regularly featured in major publications and news outlets, including the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, CNN, ABC News, CBS News, Townhall.com, American Family Radio, The Christian Post, Charisma News, Belfinet.com, WDT.com, and Patheos.com. He and his family live in York, Pennsylvania, where he serves as lead pastor of GraceYork.com. So a very, very impressive man with a huge amount of accolades under his belt and I believe a strong message. Now, our conversation does cover over some divisive topics, mainly around the LGBTQ community and subcultures, but, you know, I, I encourage you not to turn off. Uh, 
it doesn't come from a malicious place. Uh, it comes across very balanced. Um, yeah, I believe that this is the kind of dialogue that needs to happen. You know, we need to have a challenging, informed discussion around masculinity, however my guests decide to come from it. And Michael's a lovely guy. You know, he's uh, he may say some things that you don't agree with, but he says it in a very informed way and it comes from a loving place. Michael Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Henry. It's good to connect with you. Thanks for having me on your program. Absolutely not a problem. It's a pleasure to have you. And where are you right now? Pennsylvania, York, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. The uh, spot across from the pond, York. I think there's also a York in England. I'm pretty sure, positive there is. It's funny how we kind of broke off from England, but had such an affinity. We named everything after motherland isn't that interesting yeah there's loads of places like i wonder if york where in pennsylvania is uh it's probably very different from the york here well, york's a beautiful historic town but i don't yeah. know i feel like the american one's probably a little bit nicer well farmland a lot of farms um beautiful scenery rolling hills things of that sort really that sounds yeah. quite similar uh, it's probably why they called it york it's total <laughs> farmland all over the place yeah so the guys have the guys have heard about you through through your bio. The one thing I like to ask my guests when they first come in is, "What does it mean to you today to be a man?" Mm, great question. I think everybody is asking that question. What is the definition of sexuality? You know, I think it goes back to the basic nuts and bolts as a matter of chromosomal makeup and DNA. Mm. In other words, it's not just how we feel, it's what we actually are. And I don't know why today people are so afraid to actually say what they are and to negate the chromosomal makeup that we have. Mm. You know, uh, unless there are rare instances, and I talk about this briefly in my book, <laughs> unless there are rare instances where the genetic makeup of an individual is in question and there has to be a decision made about what are we going to do anatomically, right? Yeah. In most instances, in the overwhelming majority of instances, maleness and femaleness is determined by your chromosomal makeup. It is a matter of DNA. Mm. I think where people start to get hung up then is what are the expected behaviors of a man and expected behaviors of a woman? And there's no, there seems to be a, a pendulum swing that men always behave this way and always do these things. Women always behave this way and do these things. So therefore, if I like things that are traditionally associated with uh, feminine expressions, mm. I must have a problem with my masculinity. Mm. Or conversely, uh, my wife and I have talked about this. You know, if a woman can, or as a younger girl can be identified as a quote-unquote tomboy, do you use that term across the pond, tomboy? We do. We do use the word tomboy. Yeah, and somebody can be, you know, stereotyped as being a certain way because they like to play in the mud. You know, a girl likes to play in the mud. She likes to play uh, ice hockey. She likes to wrestle, things of that sort. Well, my take is, to get back to your original question, what is the definition of a man? What's the definition of a woman? You know, a woman can like those things and still be a woman. Yeah, and Absolutely. And a man can like art and dance and food and culture. I mean, gosh, I like food. And 
can still be a man because at, at the, the the base of it all is your chromosomal makeup. And then the way you express yourself, I think there's a lot of freedom beyond that. What I hear you saying is you kind of, you wash all the, the masculine and feminine away and what you have is a human being and the mm-hmm. choice of who they want to be is up to them. Well, the choice of how they want to, want to express themselves is up to them, but we don't have the say, I don't believe, that we have a say in changing our gender unless in those rare instances where there's, there's a question because there's a chromosomal issue. And the, the term for it is escaping me now, but there's actually a medical term in relation to somebody who might have their chromosomes not as clearly aligned, okay, to clearly distinguish this is a male or this is a female. Yep. So I think maleness, femaleness is determined chromosomally. And then there should be, I think, a lot of freedom and a lot of room for discussion on the expression of your maleness and your femaleness without jeopardizing the chromosomal reality. Yeah. I think we've kind of swung the pendulum the other way and are trying to accomplish too much and complicating something that's very simple and should be very straightforward, Mm. that there are different types of expressions of manhood, different types of expressions of womanhood. Yeah. You still are a man or you still are a woman. Mm. I can't wake up tomorrow and say, well, I identify as a Native American, uh, 18-year-old, female, black, Hispanic, Mm. because I feel that way. You would look at me and you would say, no, you look Italian. Your last name is Italian, and you don't look like you're 18 years old. So I might call myself that, but that doesn't actually change the facts of who I am. So it's kind kind of interesting that people are being selective these days in what they say they can and cannot change. And then they, they, they're putting up their own barriers and say, well, you can't, you can't go that far. Well, who says, who's establishing these rules? I mean, uh, when, when you say that, I mean, to, you're also speaking to the LGBTQ community, uh, the way people identify as a gender, right? Like you're saying that it's unreasonable for us to try and say that you have to define like this, or are you saying that it's unreasonable that people are choosing to define themselves differently? I think that only God gets to define what you are. Okay. And then it's up to us to embrace that and to stop trying to change it. Okay. Stop trying to fantasize that this is better or that that's better. Mm. Accept who you are, how God made you to be, Mm. settle into that saddle, and then you don't have to embrace stereotypes of those expressions for Mm. yourself. There's a lot of freedom. Think of Mm. uh, Michelangelo, for example, incredibly artistic. And why would that, why would that artistic expression be assumed to be a a feminine trait or um, Barishnikov as an incredible dancer, one of the world's greatest dancers? Why Mm. would we think that, well, if you're interested in dance or you're interested in baking or in in culinary arts, that that's a feminine thing. Those things are stereotypical. Mm. So I think a lot of room for discussion and correcting and changing stereotypes that have been around for a long time. Yep. But at the bedrock of it all, Henry, is our maleness, our femaleness is chromosomally determined, and it's not something that we can change. Yeah. Okay, I hear that. And it's, it's interesting that you, you touch upon these kind of these stereotypes. And like, I always, I'm always shocked, and I know that I shouldn't be shocked, uh, how kind of backward we are 
in still defining, you know, a man by these restrictive stereotypes. Like mm. I'm a metal worker. Yeah. In my, like I'm a coach first and foremost in my hobby time, I make stuff out of steel. I bang stuff with hammers. Now that's some mm-hmm. people go, wow, that is super manly. I'm like, yeah, but wait, I pick flowers for my girlfriend and my mum <laughs> because I love them. I watch RuPaul's Drag Race because I love the bitchiness. I love Love Island. You know, I love all these things. I have a dog and I love him. There's the man, you know, it's like I have like things that are stereotypically manly and then things that are stereotypically mm-hmm. womanly. And by mm-hmm. like, if I was to go, oh, I'm not comfortable with the fact that I pick flowers for the people that I love. And that would just cause me the most amount of pain. But I hold them both, you know? It's, right. it's as I choose to navigate. Like, I'm a human being. I am on this earth. Don't tell me how to live my life. Right. I am a man because I am here. These are the things that I do. Would you like to share with us some uh, stereotypes that you challenge as being a man? Sure. I th- or or um, e- even things that that women may struggle with or that society is causing a whole new generation of people to struggle with unnecessarily. Mm. If a girl likes contact football, well, she, she must be struggling with her sexuality, like, mm. uh, you know, be, have, have masculine tendencies. Well, why is a contact sport exclusively? It might be in a majority of cases, we men like to get concussions, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean that uh, that women can't be a part of that. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah, yeah. Same thing with a young child might um, put on her, his mother's lipstick at a young age out of curiosity or his mother's yeah. eyeliner out of curiosity. It happens all the time. Yeah. Or see a young girl and see a dress, might be curious about that. Well, that doesn't mean that the child is a two-year-old or three-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old is necessarily struggling with their sexual identity. First of all, there's a certain amount of curiosity that is human. Yeah. That's where we as adults need to help young children make decisions that I think the most common sense thing, as opposed to nonsense, is to help them embrace who they actually are at a physiological level, the reality of how they are presenting physiologically. Otherwise, Think about all that is involved. And the scientists at John Hopkins University came in, they recanted. That's why they don't do um, gender change operations anymore, you know, because they realize that in the majority of instances, the psychological difficulties after effects far outweigh the benefits and the temporary in the short term. Mm. So what what you can do by setting somebody up to try to be something that they are not physiologically. Well, you present as a as a boy. You have the anatomy of a boy. Mm. You have the DNA of a boy. But you just put on a dress, so maybe you want to be a woman. All that is involved in trying to get them to embrace something that they are not physiologically, you're setting them up for a lifetime of psychological and physical difficulty as opposed to helping them embrace what they actually are. Mm. And then perhaps be comfortable with some not necessarily traditional expressions of manhood. Mm. Maybe you like to wear one. When I was in college, I used to wear capizios, leather uh, leather shoes, capizios, leather um, shoes that rockers used to wear the big hair days in the 80s. Okay. Okay. Some of my friends would look at me and they would say, man, those are kind of like girl shoes. And I'd be like, whatever, man, this is the (laughs) shoes I like to wear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, some of the stereotypes that women have to be 
uh, fragile. They have to be um, dainty. They have to like things that smell nice. They have to dress in frilly dresses or tight jeans. Um, they have to wear eyeliner and lipstick. They have to wear earrings. They have to have long nails. And um, so what I what I hear you saying is, you are you are born as a man or a woman. Now, if you are if you are if if you display behaviors, and someone tells you that these are feminine behaviors, then you should not feel under the pressure to try and identify as, you know, a different sex because you cannot change the sex that you're born into. Exactly. I would agree with that. I would agree with that, and I and I would say simply, we need to understand that. I remember walking down the street one day. I'm going to be totally vulnerable with you and your audience right here. I remember walking down the street years ago in Oregon, and a gal was standing there, and she cussed me out, said that I walked like a bleeping woman. Okay. Now, I've never been accused of looking feminine any other time in my life, but I guess for some reason she thought on that particular day I was walking like a woman. I don't even know what that means to walk like a woman. Mm. Of course, I thought that was a derogatory comment and certainly a stereotype, right? I've never questioned my masculinity. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this woman did, but that's an example of a stereotype. People can walk certain ways, still be a man, still be a woman. They can talk certain ways, still be a man, still be a woman. And I think it's actually a rever an example of um, unintentional, but it's hypocritical nonetheless. We're imposing a whole new set of standards that are we're guilty of the same exact thing that we're accusing people who have had standards of right and wrong, male and femaleness, for such a long time. Now all we're doing is flipping it and saying, well, now it's got to be our way, and your way is totally wrong. So aren't we kind of being hypocritical and is now superimposing a new standard that everybody has to adopt. And that's why everybody's so confused. So many people are so confused. Why are we using your standard as opposed to the standard that's been used for millennia? Mm. And, and, you know, do, do I have to change my standard depending on which audience I'm talking to? I'm talking to the LGBTQ crowd. Have to adopt their perspective and their definitions. If I'm talking to a, uh, a far right crowd, I have to adopt their standard, their, um, um, definitions and approach to things. That's why I think we start to get into trouble when we stray from a Judeo-Christian foundation. I think mm -hmm. that's the compass. That is the compass. And when you lose your compass, you get lost. And I think that's what we're experiencing today on a worldwide level. Okay. So you, there are a few things here. They're really interesting. Um, you mentioned the Judeo-Christian angle, and I want to want to come back to that and you, when you said that you wanted to get vulnerable and I, I fully feel you on that and i respect you massively for for engaging in that space <clears throat> what was it about what the woman said to you that made you feel vulnerable well first of all i didn't even know who this person was so nobody asked you for your opinion right yeah so you're offering me your opinion i don't even know who you are very brash, very insulting. Apparently, she was highly offended that I didn't present the way she thought I should present, right? Mm. So that's offensive. You know, who wants uninvited criticism from somebody that you don't even know? It's one mm. thing to get uninvited criticism, say, from, from your housemate, right? <laughs> from your partner. But you know that person. But to get uninvited criticism from somebody you don't even know, that's kind of shocking. Yeah. Secondly, as I said, I, I mean... I started shaving in, in seventh grade. Wow. So I had 
hair on my chest and under my arms, like in fifth grade or sixth grade, you know, I, I was one of those hairy beasts of a guy. So the idea that uh, threw me for a loop was just, she says, you walk like a bleeping girl. Like, man, I don't even know what to tell you about that one. It was just like, just a shocker. Yeah. And, and so your stereotype and it happened in Portland, Oregon of all places, which is one of the most liberal places in the United States. Mm. But, um, I think the thing that was most shocking, Henry, is just the fact that, hey, I don't know you, and um, I'm not asking you for your opinion. Mm. So thanks for offering it. Yeah. Just minding my own business. Yeah, no, I, I, I can totally understand why that would jar you. Like in England, say, jar you out. You know, that's kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Whoa, 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 don't make an assumption based mm-hmm. on what you see if you, right. don't, if you don't know me. Now, to touch on the Judeo-Christian angle, this may be a – divisive topic for some to hear but let's well, just, imagine that yeah stay with just, us everybody stay with let's us just plow on into that that's right don't ride um, off into the sunset let's let's get real about it i want you to speak honestly yeah. and truthfully from your core of your truth mm-hmm. and let's talk about your views on masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. based on your faith Yeah, I think uh, that there's a huge need for vulnerability and to have conversations with people where you do not necessarily share the same perspective. I think life would be incredibly boring and you just don't learn and grow to to the degree you otherwise would. If you hang around with all the same people, have all the same views, you look alike, you talk alike, you think alike all the time. Makes you a very one dimensional in a box person, right? There's never danger in talking to other people who have other views if you're well-grounded. So I welcome conversations. I just had a podcast two weeks ago with an atheist. Mm. And uh, as we were talking in the beginning, I actually said, so you don't believe there's a God. You believe that it can't be proven. He says, no, I believe that there might be something. I just am not sure if there is. I said, well, that's not atheist. That's agnostic. Mm. You're just not sure. You just don't believe there's enough evidence. I think today a lot of people are confused even about the Judeo-Christian standard. And quite frankly, um, I'm, I'm a conservative evangelical Christian. Okay. I am. And I don't apologize for that, but I think I'm a very understanding conservative evangelical Christian in that I don't get bent out of shape. If I, I have gay friends. I have gay friends. I talk about that in my book, A Call for Courage. Um, I have friends who have struggled with their sexuality and have to this day. We've been lifelong friends. I won't reveal their identity because that's irrelevant. But that doesn't shake my my security and who I am in Christ because of the struggle that they're having. And quite frankly, I think uh, in the conservative evangelical community, we've kind of done a disservice by not listening to those who struggle with their sexual identity and allowing them to come to us and say, you know what, I'm confused, I'm troubled, I wish this, that, and the other, but I just can't get it together. And, and what we often do is we talk about a relationship with Jesus, but we preach a religion. And that what we're really telling people is get your act together first. And once you get your act together, then God will accept you. We would never come right out and admit that that's what we're doing. Well, we kind of are. Where the biblical Jesus is, you don't have to get your act together first. Come to me and let me get your act together. Bring all that junk in your trunk all the difficulties that you have, all the struggles that you have. And in most cases, in most cases, Christianity is a lifetime of ongoing transition. We are a work 
of art in the making, a masterpiece in the making. So um, there's all kinds of issues that I'm realizing in my own life now that I had no idea about 20 years ago. So to, to be somebody who's a Christ follower is not somebody who should be presenting to the world this perfect persona that God accepts me because I've read his word, have aligned my life flawlessly, and therefore that makes me a Christian. No, it's because I'm flaw-filled flaw and because I'm in need of somebody to save me apart from myself, and so are you. I simply have an anchor in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the hope in the midst of the storm. I have a compass in the Word of God that helps me in the midst of every storm I go through. It doesn't mean I'm going to avoid storms. It means that while I'm going through them, I have that compass to steer me and to direct me. Mm. So being a Christian doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't be, I think, presenting the, this perfect persona to other people and having one ticket um, religious uh, mantras, I guess, where it's this sin is the really bad sin. These sins are okay. But if you're guilty of this, sin, oh my goodness, that's the biggie. I think coming biggest, back from that one. You're uh, right. I, mean, I, I think the biggest sins going today are gossip and slander. You know, uh, the pen is mightier than the sword, and that's still true. We destroy people's lives with the words that we say. How come that's not a big sin? That's mm. a huge sin. That's mm. a huge sin. And so, from my perspective of what I believe the Bible teaches, Christianity and coming to Christ isn't about getting your act together and then saying, "Look, God, look at me. Look at look at me. <laughs> look, God, I'm, I'm in need of you." Would you help me? Mm. I, I don't have it together. I'll never have it all together. Thank you that Jesus has it all together. Mm. And, and, and I think we've been too narrow in how we have presented the Lord Jesus Christ today in many conservative evangelical circles where we've alienated people who would otherwise be attracted to him. I'm glad you went very deep there. And I think that's going to be of huge value. And I certainly agree with you that there are, there's only been a very narrowed uh, message being sent out about the church. I had a, a guest on. Joel was saying that, you know, we get a bad rap, but not all of us are like that, but we've mm. got a bad rap for a reason because unfortunately the, the, the most negative preachers in our group are the ones that hit the headlines and everyone loves a bad guy. And he touched upon the homosexuality thing and he was like, hey, like his, his belief was that the Bible doesn't agree with it, but I'm able to navigate that using my own rules. And I still offer, offer unconditional fellowship and camaraderie. You know, they don't have to meet my definition of what's okay, but I get to say that they're okay. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. And I think the, the irony is that we can preach a message of grace and yet model a message of works and performance. Yeah, I think we have to be very careful. Yeah, it's uh, it's delicate ground, and as you say, you mentioned earlier that there's so many different viewpoints going on that you literally just have to make one step wrong, and then there's a subculture based on that. You know, like I um yeah, when you were talking about sex and the male and female, I don't necessarily agree with that and the way people identify. But as you said, that's fine. Uh, I do believe. I just want to go right back to something I wanted to say. <clears throat> it's important that we have these dialogues because otherwise what we get is an echo chamber. And when we have an echo chamber, 
nothing new gets said and everyone's telling everyone else that they're doing you're doing a great job you're absolutely right you know and that's what we're progressing towards and this is what this conversation is all about so <clears throat> what would you say sorry yeah, i think we talk at each other we don't listen to each other yeah um i always use the analogy when people take lots of cocaine they shout at each other and it's just the the volume gets louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and nothing is mm. ever heard. And that's the kind of experience that I have in the world at the moment is that everyone's on cocaine. Mm. Not that they are, but the message isn't being heard because more often than not, someone kind of a group because of their stalwart approach may just preempty that an, an, an opposing view is going to come in and it's a bad thing and then they shut it down and that creates friction mm -hmm. and then it just kicks it off all again. People are shouting, yeah. nothing's getting heard. So what would be, yep. so for, um, <clears throat> let, me, let me think. So we have, say there's a, there's a member of the LGBTQ community listening and they, and they disagree with what you say. How would you, how can you, say something to them so that they hear you and you hear them? I would say, number one, as a conservative evangelical Christian, I know that you have been hurt by some of the insensitivities of what conservative evangelical Christians have, com have communicated. However, we're, it's not right, would be wrong of me to stereotype everybody in the LGBTQ community in the same way it's wrong for you to stereotype everybody who is a conservative evangelical Christian, for example. So please don't do that. And I'm a perfect case in point. You don't need to raise your voice at me or yell at me. I wouldn't do that toward you. I welcome the ability to disagree agreeably and to have a conversation. We might even have a microbrew together. You know, we might have a Guinness together. <clears throat> be able to have a reasonable conversation and come to understand each other together. It doesn't mean that we'll necessarily agree, but we might actually be better for having a conversation about it. Yeah. And uh, we might actually be able to help other people have civil dialogue in what's become a very uncivilized society. It right? has become incredibly uncivilized. It's unbelievable. And here again, I would say the Bible does speak to this issue. In the book of James, it says each of you should be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. That's great advice. That and that's advice. From <clears throat> So that's all I'm trying to advocate is that I'm, I'm concerned with people who are in what I would call the radical LGBTQ crowd. Mm. Radical is an important adjective there where you have an agenda where you want everybody to adapt your perspective, your definition of gender, your definition of sex and sexuality, your idea of how children should be raised and how they shouldn't be raised. You have a radical agenda. That's quite different than somebody who is struggling with their sexuality, curious about their sexuality, is not sure about what road they should go on. I say there is room for discussion. Mm. And there's room for compassion to talk with you. In the same way, if you're part of the radical LGBTQ crowd, go take a look in the mirror and be careful that you're not doing the exact same thing that you're criticizing other people of doing <coughs> by yeah. stereotyping and forcing your agenda down everybody's throat. Yeah. There's no room for that. You know, and while you're saying be tolerant, you could actually be extremely intolerant yeah. and practicing a hashtag double standard, right? It's a hashtag double standard. Yeah. So let's just sit down 
have a micro brew, talk a little bit. Let's unwind a little bit. Let's take off the, the, the glasses that make us see each other through stereotypes. And let's really have a conversation about truth, about transparency, about the struggles many of us endure, and we all have struggles of one kind or another. Mm. And the fact that at the end of the day, we all are looking for truth, not just our truth, but absolute truth. We all are looking for the ability to peacefully coexist and to have freedom that does not harm other people while other people express their freedom without harming people in the process as well. Yeah. So I welcome conversations with, with people who are reasonable, people yeah. who don't want to practice a, a, a double standard. Yeah. Well, that sounds like an incredible open invitation. And I will be including Michael's contact details as he, as he wants them. And uh, I encourage everyone to get in touch. We need to have these frank, open, and God, my God, compassionate conversations. You know, it needs yeah. it needs to happen. Um, and I want to I want to bring it back to you as a man. Now you mentioned struggles, mm-hmm. so yeah. tell us about the struggles that you've encountered, and if you can frame it within masculinity, so we can keep it really focused. Absolutely, I have a fourteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old, two sons. And we talk about everything. I mean, we've taught them from the youngest of ages, especially today. If you ignore your children, they'll go away. And they will learn morals or morality from somebody. They're going to learn about sex and sexuality from somebody, right? Because we're sexual beings. As real as we are with a chromosomal makeup, we have a sexual nature and tendencies, okay? And so from the earliest of ages, I've talked openly with them about um, temptations that I've had, help them understand when a, when a gorgeous woman walks by or when a handsome man walks by, help them understand and recognize beauty, whether it's male or female, to help them understand. And then help them understand um, that uh, their own sexuality and their identity is secure in Christ. Mom and dad love them. And part of the reason why I do that, Henry, is because when I grew up, man, we never had discussions about sex and sexuality. I, I never had that birds and the bees talk with my mom or my dad, man. I learned in, in the seventh grade, this sounds crazy. I learned about the birds, birds and the bees in the top of our hayloft on our farm from my friend, Harold. And I was like wide eyed and like, first of all, I'm, I'm way too old to be hearing about this stuff. You know, all this detail. you should have told me at a, lot, at a much earlier time, but it was because that was lacking in my own life, that fear, it caused a fear of commitment mm. because I was afraid, is, is sex okay? Is sexuality okay? Is it okay to be immensely attracted to a woman? And that was one of the things that I struggled with when I met my wife. I had never met anybody who swept me off my feet like she did. And the sexual chemistry and the attraction between us was like un believable we could not stay away from each other right mm-hmm. it's by god's grace that we were virgins on our wedding day but um we, we might not have been right and and we just we just like an explosion of attraction between us but you know i struggled if i can be honest with this i struggled with those feelings those sexual feelings toward my wife because i never had permission as a young man to talk about those things with my parents uh, yeah yeah, And so I don't want my boys to go through those same things, right? So we're very open. Uh, some people would probably be shocked at 
how open we are about things, but I've taught them from, my wife and I have taught them from a very early age to express how they're feeling, to share what they're struggling with, and they've done it, and we have a beautiful, open communication that's two ways. We could be sitting down, driving in the car, and get all kinds of questions about stuff that other parents would be like, oh my goodness, what, what was that question? We have never shocked them with yeah. our responses, right? Yeah. We've, and so there's a, a, a development of trust and rapport between yeah. them and us where they know that we are their first, most reliable, vulnerable, vulnerably safe place that they can go for information about anything. I, I think, think that's, that's so beautiful, but it's courageous as well, right, to do that as a parent. And I, am, I am not a parent. I know that when I grew up, sex was never spoken about. Um, and there's this thing that I think, right. Um, and people may go, when I say this, but like talk about sex with your kids to demystify it and say, Hey, I love your mum. I have sex with your mum. All right. We have sex with each other and it's, it's beautiful. My God. And I hope that you find a relationship where you can do that. Like that. It took me a lot. Like that's normal. Yeah. Like that is normal. That's a great conversation to have. Cause otherwise, I mean, I feel like I, like you, I went into the world and I was very unsure about what was love, what was lust, what was good, what was bad. Exactly. I had no textbook for it. I did not know the landscape I was going into, but you know, mm-hmm. that bit of honesty and it's something that I know, like I have a wonderful partner, Joanne, um, who I'm very much in love with. We are going to have children and like that topic of conversation is going to be there because I don't want my kids to go into a world where they feel unsure of something. Right. It is so natural, right? It's the most natural thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the more comfortable you are talking about sex and sexuality with your children, the more comfortable they're going to be in recognizing that this is normal. See, if your children don't learn normal, they're going to learn abnormal as normal. Yeah. They're going to learn abnormal as normal. And that's actually when dysfunction starts, where you're ashamed of your sexuality. You're ashamed of sexual attraction. Are you kidding me? God made you that way. You know, we wouldn't have children if we weren't sexually attracted to other people, right? Okay, I guess I'll do my duty. You want to bring a kid into the world? Let's cut a couple minutes out of our schedule and bring a child into the world. That's not the way it works. There's an amazing fulfillment and satisfaction and euphoria involved in that whole process of conception, right? Yeah, yeah. And so if we don't teach our children what normal is, they're going to learn abnormal as normal. Mm. Just be dysfunctional, be afraid of their sexuality, be afraid of sex. And then that's when the whole thing begins to spiral downward. And, you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Male and female, he made them. In the image of God, he made them. They were naked. and It wasn't just physical nakedness. It was a vulnerability between them. And today, it seems like for all this talk about vulnerability, uh, we're still, you know, even the people in the radical LGBTQ crowd, they're afraid of people who disagree with them. And I, I recognize I'm, I'm a pretty objective guy. There are people in the conservative crowd that are scared to death to have a conversation with a person in the LGBTQ crowd. They don't know how to do it. But if you have a solid base and if you genuinely love people, then there's a tremendous freedom to be able to say, we can agree to disagree, pass the salt. You know, let's just continue to have a conversation and uh, learn from each other and not get our knickers all up in a, in a tizzy about this so that we can um, um, be courageous and not base our identity on always agreeing with somebody else. You know, mm. 
not basing our security on, okay, well, we're a hundred percent in agreement. So therefore we can uh, ride in the car together. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the polarized society. Uh, no matter where you go in the world these days is that's the polarized nature of human relationships these days. Mm-hmm. And it's not healthy. I love that. I think there's a lot to be said around sort of coming at it from, from the masculinity point of view, a lot of a man's identity while growing up as, as we search for identity, you know, uh, masculinity is incredibly seductive because we want to find our place, our meaning, something that means something to anchor us in. And, and sexuality is massive when it yeah. comes to that. And like, I know, God knows I struggled with that. Right. That there are conversations that need to happen to allow mm-hmm. our boys to enter into manhood in a really constructive way. And these conversations, and they are uncomfortable, but they need to happen. Now, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. And it's flowing, isn't it? It's Not crazy. It's, like, it's just, so I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to have you back because there is way more to talk about. I would be but, um, honored to be back. Um, I would like to use like the next bit for you just to tell our audience more about because I know you've got your book and I'd love you to promote your book and talk about courage mm-hmm. and how people can get in touch with you if they want to continue a conversation with you. Sure. Well, I, first of all, I welcome that. And I would welcome debates too from agnostics, atheists, people in the LGBTQ crowd, uh, Christians. Uh, if I've offended somebody by what I've said or if something I said has resonated, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through couragematters.com. That's my website, couragematters.com. Or we have an app, the Courage Matters app, the Michael Anthony Courage Matters app. And um, who knows, you know, our conversations, you can email me, info at couragematters.com. There's a form at the website as well. Um, might be the the subject of a blog post or a, bl- or a couple of blog posts or a podcast. We're going to be doing video podcasts too. So I would mm. absolutely welcome that because for me, you know, my book is entitled A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an mm. Age of Intolerance and Fear. Mm-hmm. A long subtitle, but you can judge the book by its cover. A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. The whole book is about this whole premise of courageous humility or humble courage. That when you have truth plus love, that's, that's courage. Truth yeah. plus love equals courage. That's not one or the other. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, we're supposed to speak the truth with love. We're not just supposed to speak the truth. And we're not supposed to confuse ourselves or each other by thinking that, well, I just need to be loving. Because the most loving thing you can do to somebody is tell them the truth when you know what it is. Mm. The most unloving thing you can do for somebody is withhold the truth when you know what it is. That's not yeah. love. Yeah. And so many people are confused today about tolerance but you know the truth and you don't tell somebody what the truth is. You're not really loving them. So the whole book is about developing courageous humility as Mm. your new way of life. Every chapter is short with chapter summaries to show people how to develop immediately, instantaneously courageous humility. There are little bullet points at the end of each chapter. So we're living in a very polarized society. People talk about the sky falling and how terrible of a situation we're in. And mm-hmm. I just got fed up, Henry, hearing all kinds of people do that, talking heads, radio people. I said, you know, this is all this does is raise people's blood pressure. What we need to do is show people how to live in what I call a new world of disorder. 
Yeah. And that's what A Call for Courage is, the book. And it's also an audio version. Thomas Nelson is the publisher. They let me read it. I went down to Nashville and I read for the book. And you can get it on Amazon, booksamillion.com, barnesandnoble.com, any place that books are sold. And if you buy it um, at couragematters.com, I'll personally autograph it for you. And uh, you get greater discounts as you buy uh, more than one. We we discount it with each book you get. It gets uh, – the cost goes down more and more. But uh, it was a pleasure to write the book. People uh, are calling it a how-to manual. Mm-hmm. It's been, been endorsed by – quite a few prominent people. And it's a privilege to just get a resource out there that will help people begin to listen to each other and have healthy conversations instead of yelling at each other. Yeah. I love the <laughs> analogy that you use. I didn't know that about people who are on cocaine yelling at each other, but we must all be on cocaine these days, <laughs> yeah. you know, because that's what we're doing. We're yelling at each other. Nobody's listening anymore. Michael, Michael, I have something to say to you. Listen, listen. That's how it's going. Right, well, I got something to say to you. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> on this circle right but it's been a pleasure to be on your program man no it's been i'm i'm gonna I'm, i want to get the audio but because i think listening to your voice would be really good you have a beautiful voice well i have a little bit of a sexy voice now okay. because uh, i got this chest thing going on so it's usually not this raspy but uh <laughs> i still think a little bit sexy when i'm reading the audiobook you know yeah like, well uh, it's to all the people listening you want a sexy read you know where that's right I, I, um, want, I want a really sexy read, Henry. That's what I want. <laughs> get my book, get the audio version. You'll really like it. That's so good. Oh, I love so, it. Um, one, so the, the thing that I always like to end on is, uh, you know, I'm a coach. I help men uh, become fearlessly beautiful men. Yeah. Um, love that phrase, fearlessly beautiful. You. Man, great. You, know, you as a fearlessly beautiful man. Thank you, um, man. And, and you know what? I'm not threatened by you saying that. No, neither. Should, yeah, fist bump through the screen. Why? Why the fuck not, man? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the main. It's it's kind of this this thing of like we we 82 percent of our communication is emotional. Mm. If we're not connected with our emotions, as you said, if we're not connected with our truth and our love and our compassion, we are literally only operating at 18% of our potential on the other side of that to help people you know embody that on a day-to-day I have the inner warrior program and the inner warrior program is embodying your truth and your love into unshakable self-belief and it's an anchoring process that people can just press their fingers together they're in it and I use it myself you know to when when I encounter potentially fear-filled moments or experiences i anchor myself i'm like boom no i'm aligned let's do this um so i want to ask you michael anthony what does your inner warrior look like wow that is a good question i'm not sure that i know how to answer that what does my inner warrior look like when i'm facing attack is that what you're saying when i am when you when you're you're facing a difficult situation and you call upon that truth and that love and that courage within you, if you could give it a symbol or if it would look a certain way, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. It would look like a resting lion. I love it. That's what it would look like. A resting lion, maybe paws folded. Yeah. Laying down, confident, 
um, not ruffled, mm-hmm. not reactive, mm-hmm. but settled and resolved. I love that. I love that. I always believe there is never a more assured man than the man who can embody that kind of pose. Like you don't need to see the claws. You don't need to hear the roar. When you see this man, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's also, it's beautiful as well because the lion is an elegant creature. So when they see you resting, the resting lion, it's like, I know that man. Mm. I I don't need to ask any questions about him. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, Henry, it's a pleasure. Pleasure. Appreciate what you're doing, man. Keep up the good work and uh, love to come back on your program. And and thank you so, so much. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, it's goodbye from me. And you want to sign us off, Michael? Hey, man, everybody keep looking up. Don't let people push you down. We're living in a sit down, shut up world. I think it's time to stand up and speak out with courageous humility. So um, listen to what Henry's saying. He's saying a lot of good stuff. Appreciate you listening today. And I would absolutely love to hear from you at CourageMatters.com. Thank you.